It is uh, good to be with you. Pastor Brian is uh, away this weekend. He is out uh, visiting family out east for the weekend. And so he uh, has asked me to uh, step in and, and preach this weekend. If we've not met, my name is Jason Crosby, and I'm part of the leadership here at uh, Edgewood. And I'm delighted to be able to worship with you this weekend. Some of you are uh, headed to Israel with uh, Edgewood here uh, shortly. And in uh, 2017, my wife and I, Susie, we uh, took a two-week trip to uh, Israel with Moody Bible Institute. It was an all-expenses-paid work trip, which meant that we were not there to sightsee. We were there to be shepherds. And it was our responsibility to make sure that everyone who was on our bus stayed with the group and made it on and off the bus okay and uh, stuck together at each of the different sites. And uh, honestly, it was a lot like herding cats. It was, um, but we, we, did, we did enjoy the trip and the people on our bus honestly were delightful people. Easily, one of the most popular tourist attractions in Israel is the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is a very unique experience. So for most of us, when we look at a body of water, we think cool and refreshing. Not so with the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is warm, so you don't, you don't step into the dead, the, the dead Sea and experience refreshment. And next, the, the seabed of the Dead Sea is mostly mud and built-up salt, so it's very uncomfortable to walk in barefoot. Water shoes or sandals are recommended. And then when you get out of the water, you are covered in salt water, and it just feels strange, and it made me thankful that they had showers nearby. See, what makes the Dead Sea... A popular tourist spot isn't the sea, but the mud. Dead Sea mud is some of the most mineral-rich mud on earth, containing a total of 21 minerals. Those minerals naturally tone, detoxify, and exfoliate, which is supposed to result in skin that is younger-looking and a more radiant complexion. I use it all the time, can't you tell? <laughs> Dead Sea mud renews the skin. And so if you're visiting Edgewood this weekend, last weekend we began a new series titled The Power of Re. And in this series, we're going to explore several important words to our faith that begin with the letters R-E. As so of last week for Easter, we focused in on the resurrection, and Pastor Brian helped us to see that because Jesus is alive, you can experience new life through the new birth. This week, our word is renew. We all need renewal. And the reality is, we will need renewal for the rest of our lives. Following death, Renewal isn't necessary. Why? Well, looking at how the word renew is used throughout Scripture, we can conclude that uh, to be renewed or renew means to be transformed by God 
from a current, decayed state or condition into a better, superior, invigorated, preferable, like new or new state. So, on the one hand, following death, the one who rejects Jesus Christ as Savior and is unrepentant for their sins spends eternity in hell and has lost all opportunity to be renewed. On the other hand, the Christ follower who places their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins has no need to be renewed because nothing decays in heaven. So while we're living, we are in a decaying state and all need to be transformed by God from our current decayed state or condition into a better, superior, invigorated, preferable, like new or new state. We need renewal. Now, we're not alone with our need for renewal. Throughout all of history, humanity has had this need for renewal. And this week, we're going to be in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And specifically, we're going to hone in on chapter 40. So if you brought your Bible with you tonight... Isaiah chapter 40 is where we are going to be. And as you are flipping to Isaiah chapter 40, to start with, we're actually going to begin with one verse at the end of of chapter 40. It's verse 27. Verse 27 of chapter 40. And I didn't look beforehand, if you're using the, uh, the Pew Bible in front of you, what page Isaiah is on, so I'm sorry about that. I'll give you a little more time to find it uh, if you're uh, using that, uh, the Pew Bible. But Isaiah chapter 40, and I want you to hone in on verse 27. And so here's what verse 27 says. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? I imagine that each of us at some point in this life has wondered the words of Isaiah 40, 27. You see, at the heart of Isaiah 40, 27, it's this, God... Do you really care about me? Do you see what's happening to me? Do you care about the injustice that's happening to me, around me, to those that I care about? Does my suffering matter to you? And so if these are your questions, what I want you to know is that you are a prime candidate for renewal. And there is good news for us tonight. The answer to those questions is yes, always. Not only do I care, but I am God. You see, there are three different truths that I hope that we will see tonight regarding renewal. And these truths are going to help us, especially if we are in a dark spot like Judah was in Isaiah 4027. And so here's what we're going to see. If you want renewal, you need to know and wait for God. If you want renewal, you need to know 
and wait for God. Okay, let's look at Isaiah chapter 40, and this time we'll read all of chapter 40. Verse 1, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? An idol, a craftsman casts it like and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing." Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? 
Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Uh, let me pray, and then we'll, and we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, these are your words. And so, God, we just uh, ask that you would take them, that you would apply them to our lives, that you would help us to understand them. God, that we would be drawn closer to you, that you would be glorified during this time, and that we would continue with our worship of you in this service. So, God, be worshiped in this message. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we start making our way through our text, let's talk about uh, some context, some historical context that is going on. So Isaiah, who is Isaiah? Isaiah is a prophet whose responsibility was to speak on behalf of God to the tribe of Judah. You see, following King Solomon's death, so Solomon, David's son, Solomon's death, Rehoboam becomes king. Under Rehoboam, the kingdom splits. And so the northern kingdom was called Israel, and the southern kingdom called Judah. All of the kings of Israel were evil. A handful of the kings of Judah were good. Isaiah's time as a prophet comes during the decline of Judah. They were no longer trusting in God's promises and were instead turning away from dependence on God and toward an unhealthy dependence on pagan nations. But despite their sinfulness, God remains gracious. And certainly there were consequences for their rebellion, and God did purify his people through judgment, but he also had this overruling purpose of grace. That started with Isaiah and then spreads to Judah and to Israel and results in endless joy. You see, the entire book of Isaiah is a vision of hope for sinners. And it's a hope through the coming Messiah, the promising for the ransomed people of God, a new world where sin and sorrow will be forever forgotten. And so we catch up with Judah in chapter 40, where they have been taken captive by Babylon as punishment for their sin against God. They are defeated, discouraged, in despair, and they're wondering, does God see us? Does he still care? Has he forgotten about us? Judah needs renewal. And so do we. So let's dive into our text and see the first point about renewal. Renewal begins with a Savior. Renewal begins with a Savior. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 40 state this. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. See, the opening verses of chapter 40 start with unusual words for a community that's undergoing judgment. 
the words comfort, comfort, carry with them this, this tenderness of, that a, a husband would have for his bride. They are covenant words, especially when he says, my people. So earlier in Isaiah, in chapters 6 and 8, God referred to Judah as this people. But here he calls them my people. So whatever sins they committed against him, and no matter how grievous the punishment the nation will have suffered, the descendants of Abraham and Jacob don't have to fear that God is going to forget their promises or his promises to their ancestors. Why? There's three reasons. First, her warfare is ended. Second, her iniquity is pardoned. And third, she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So in October, I was uh, promoted and uh, have a little more travel in uh, my schedule, more than I used to. And on uh, a recent trip, I was on a flight from Chicago back to Moline. And before takeoff, the pilot told us that the winds in Moline were gusting up to 45 miles an hour, similar to today, and that our ride could be bumpy. He was right. (laughs) Now, if you've landed uh, right over at Moline, you know that the main runway is an east-west runway. And so I've made this, this flight enough times to know when, when we're on approach and when the plane is centered up on the runway. But on this particular instance, I noticed that uh, it was so windy during our descent that the nose of the plane wasn't centered on the runway. It was facing northwest. <laughs> and and so, so what happens then is... Uh, if you've ever YouTubed this and, and watched it, it's fascinating to watch a plane land in, in turbulence. It's not as fascinating to be on a plane landing in turbulence. <laughs> but so what happens then is the plane, the plane lands at an angle, and so when the, the, the back two wheels touch, and then it, it centers up once it finally hits the, hits the runway. Can I tell you what my favorite part of a plane ride is? When the wheels hit the ground, that is my favorite part of a flight. I love it when it's over. Friends, in verses 1 and 2, God saying to Judah, the term for your sin is over. Your iniquity is pardoned. You see, what Judah needs in this moment of captivity is a savior, And they know that's what they need. Lest they they place their hope in themselves or another nation to come and rescue them. These first two verses, as well as three, four, and five, they're a reminder to Judah that God is their savior. The ability to rescue from captivity is not found in themselves. It is not found in an enemy of Babylon. No, it's God who is going to bring them out of captivity. 
Look at verses 3 through, vi- three through 5. It says, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert highway for, uh, uh, make, make straight in the desert highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The idea here is that there's a king coming. A king is coming. Typically, when a a dignitary visits a, a foreign country, that country rolls out the red carpet. The dignitary is not taken down this complicated path with numerous potholes and obstacles. They're taken down the best path. And prior to the arrival of the dignitary, the job of the country is to get that path ready. And Isaiah's charge to the people of Judah is be ready. I know you're in captivity. Be ready. The ultimate dignitary, the king of the universe, is coming to rescue his people. So Judah, metaphorically, prepare for his arrival. But there's another important aspect here. And we've got to note this about the arrival. You see, it's an aspect that separates a rescue from a human savior versus a divine one. You see, when a human savior is involved, there are things that complicate the rescue. Things like desert highways, valleys, mountains, uneven ground, and rough places. Those things are no match for a divine savior. When the king of kings comes to save, desert highways become straight. Valleys are elevated. Mountains and hills are made low. Uneven ground becomes level. And rough places become plain. These things that complicate a saving effort, if you and I are the ones trying to do the saving, have no effect on the saving efforts of the one who created them. You see, one day, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. Not only is God going to keep his promises to Judah and rescue them from the hand of an oppressor, but in the process, the glory of the Lord, so the entire essence of God, that's what that means, it's going to be seen by all. And every watching nation will know that the great rescuer of Judah from their captivity is God. So here's the question for us. Has he rescued you from your captivity? You see, the message of Isaiah 40 was first written for the people of Judah, but it certainly has an application for us today. Just as Judah was held captive by Babylon, you and I are held captive by our sin. And our sin is an act of war against God. It is an iniquity that cannot be repaid, so it needs a pardon. And that pardon is available to you and to me thanks to the sinless life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the glory of the Lord revealed. 
Jesus provides salvation for the sin-held captive in that the captive who places their faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins has their sins covered over by Christ and then transferred to Christ. And then that person has Christ's righteousness transferred to them so that when God looks at them, he no longer sees their sinfulness, but instead sees Christ's righteousness. Thus, for the Christ follower, the warfare is over. The iniquity is pardoned, and the captive is free. They've been saved, not by works, lest they should boast, not by their own works. They've been saved by the matchless, sinless life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Have you been rescued from your captivity? Because that rescue is the first step in renewal. Renewal begins with a Savior. So here's the second thing we're going to see tonight. Renewal comes from knowing the greatness of God. Renewal comes from knowing the greatness of God. When I was in seminary, every once in a while, I would take too long of a Sunday afternoon nap. And then I would have trouble falling asleep Sunday night. And I don't, I don't like to take uh, sleep aids because then I, walk, I, I, would, I just wake up groggy and uh, it's not a good morning. So my cure for an inability to sleep during seminary was to turn on uh, the TV and to make my way over to C-SPAN. <laughs> and so if you're ever up around midnight on a Sunday... They air a program called Prime Minister's Questions. It's a fascinating uh, practice, rather, in uh, Britain's parliament. So what happens is every Wednesday at noon, I would never want to be the prime minister. (laughs) It's just when I tell you what happens, if you've never seen it, this this is why. So every Wednesday at noon, this large assembly of parliament gathers for at least 30 minutes, and then 15 members of parliament get to ask the prime minister any question related to the office or the office of anyone on their cabinet. So then then the question gets asked, the prime minister answers the question, and then the leader of the opposition party gets an opportunity to ask follow-up questions. So you, and then in the midst of all of that, you hear everything from groans to cheers to people shouting back at the prime minister or the opposition party leader. And it's just a fascinating thing to watch. It's so interesting to see these politicians debate, counsel, push back against members of other parties, and they're all fighting for their opinions regarding the best way forward for their country. You say, that's fascinating. How does that apply? I'm going to tell you. (laughs) So in Isaiah's time, 
The belief among the pagan nations surrounding Israel and Judah was that there was an assembly of gods believed to order and govern the universe. And so similar to the arguing in Parliament, within this assembly among the gods, decisions were made that determined the destiny of the gods as well as the fate of human beings. And so when we get to verse 12 in Isaiah and read, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance, God is separating himself from the false, non-existent gods of the council and revealing that he is much higher and more powerful than those gods could ever be. How so? The gods of the assembly were all representatives of or associated with created things. For example, you had gods of water, heaven, earth, mountains, and hills. And God says, I am distinct from these false gods in that they have their identities in these created things, but I created the things. These things that they have authority over, I created every single one of them. And so look at verses 18 through 20 with me real quick. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it. And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Isaiah is using sarcasm to prove his point about the uniqueness of God. And so one commentator puts it this way, shall the God who made the world alone without any advisor be represented by a thing that skilled technicians have to make from the stuff of creation that then cannot even be trusted to stand up all by itself? Friends, the path to renewal comes from knowing that God is greater than any other God in the universe because there isn't another God in the universe. So it it doesn't matter the spiritual being. God is greater than them all. The authority that they have, the power they muster, the boundaries they are constrained to all come from God. And the ones who have rebelled against him are all defeated by him. Now, it doesn't mean that they're not done fighting, but they're still defeated. So renewal comes from knowing that God is greater than any other God. But it also comes from knowing God's greater than any one individual. Now, I need you to go back to verses 13 and 14. 
verses 13 and 14. So again, who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? And let's go ahead and include verse 12 too. Who is the human who can measure water with his hand? Mark off the span of heaven, measure the dust of the earth, and know the exact weight of mountains and hills. The answer is no one. So if any one man fails to completely master the physical world, how can someone know all that there is to know about God? That's what's behind verse 13. Who is the one? Who is the one who knows the willful, effective, and cognitive aspects of God and knows him so well, knows God so well that they can tell him what to do? No one. Look at verse 14. Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? I love this verse. And I love it because of its use of the words justice and way of understanding. They imply that justice exists. But... See, here's the thing, but it's rooted. They imply that justice exists, but it's rooted in God. Man doesn't know justice apart from God. Because, and pay attention to this, man's justice isn't just. Mankind's justice is not just. It is self-serving. It is self-preserving. God's justice is exact. It shows no favoritism. It cannot be bribed. It is rooted in righteousness. And see, that's why I like the words way of understanding. Those words imply that there is a correct way to live life. And this way of understanding and this path of justice does not find its root in mankind. Its root is in God. Because God is greater than any one human being. And renewal comes from knowing that, that God is greater than any one human. But listen, it also comes from knowing that God is greater than the collection of humans who make up the nations. Look at verse 15. God says, behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine Dust. Now, if you're Judah, this statement is important. You've been conquered by a great nation, Babylon, and you have watched great nations rise and fall all around you. And there's another nation, Persia, that's growing in power. God's reminder is that these nations that drive fear into you, these nations that impress and intimidate you are like a small drop in a large bucket to him. When, when is the last time that you saw scales, that you used scales to measure and you said to yourself, whoa, 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 is there dust on that? 
You wouldn't say that. You're not going to inspect a scale for dust. Why? Because it doesn't have any impact. Dust has zero ability to influence a scale. So the nations have zero ability to keep God from accomplishing his will. Guys, that's still true today. Friends, renewal comes from knowing God is greater than the nations. So he's greater than all spiritual building, be, uh, uh, all spiritual beings. He's greater than any one man, and he's greater than all of mankind. So all of that leads to our last point. So we've seen renewal begins with the Savior. Renewal comes from knowing the greatness of God. And our third point, renewal comes from waiting for the Lord. Look at verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? So earlier in the message, I wondered if any of us had ever asked, God, do you really care about me? Do you see what's happening? Do you care about the injustice? Does my suffering matter to you? Isn't it crazy that we've, we've just learned about the greatness of God and the temptation that each of us is going to face is to answer those questions with the word no. And yet God, who makes salvation possible and gives us reminders of his greatness, can't help but care. Yes, he sees you. No, he hasn't disregarded you. As a matter of fact, look at verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Let's stop there for just a minute. God's strength is tireless and his wisdom unfathomable. And when God delays, it is never out of a lack of awareness or ability. Now look at verse 29. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. God isn't just full of strength. He is overflowing with it. He has so much strength that he can give some to you and to me and not be phased. That can't be said of us. Look at verse 30. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Even the most athletic individuals get tired. I enjoy useless trivia. So here's some that you can share with your non-church-going friends. If they were church-going, they'd be here, right? <laughs> so baseball season is upon us. And did you know that the longest professional baseball game ever played happened in 1981 in Pawtucket, Rhode Island? The game was between the Pawtucket Red Sox and the Rochester Red Wings, and it lasted 33 innings over a span of 8 hours and 25 minutes. So the game starts at 8.25 p.m. on April 18th. That was following a 30-minute delay due to problems with the stadium lights. Play was stopped following the 32nd inning 
which was shortly after 4 a.m. There were 19 fans left in the seats. (laughs) But it was stopped because players were delirious from exhaustion. So the players... (laughs) The players are sent home at 4 a.m. only to return to the stadium at 11 a.m. for their next game. See, on the seventh day of creation, God rests because he chose to, not because he had to, not because he needed to. When you and I rest, it's out of need. So how do we, how do we tap into that strength? Renewal. Renewal. How do we get it? By waiting for the Lord. Look at verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So the expression implies two things. First, to wait on the Lord is not to sit around and do nothing, it is not an act of laziness. Rather, to wait on the Lord is to have complete dependence on God and a willingness to allow him to decide the terms. To wait on him is to admit that we have no other help, no other help in ourselves or in another. Therefore, we are helpless until he acts. Second, to wait on him is to declare our confidence in his eventual action on our behalf. That means waiting's not merely killing time, but it's a life of confident expectation. See, when you give up your own frantic efforts to save yourself and to turn expectantly to God, you'll be able to replace or to exchange your worn-out strength with new strength. How like God is that? That he takes the useless, our worn-out strength, and gives back the good, his strength. Well, let's land the plane. What do we do with tonight's message? First, if you've not already placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, that is your starting point. If renewal is what you are seeking, any effort to find it will be empty if it isn't found in Christ. So have you acknowledged that your sin is against an always holy, always righteous God who expects that same holiness and that same righteousness from you. Jesus Christ lived the sinless life that you couldn't live, died the death on the cross you should have died, was buried and rose again, making it possible for you to be made right with God. See, you can have your sins transferred over to Christ and have his righteousness transferred over to you. Your sins can be atoned for. They can be covered in the blood of Christ and you can be smothered in his righteousness. Do you want that? We already know that we need it. 
But only you know if you want that. If so, we can take care of that before you go home. Second, to know God's greatness is to know him. And to know him, you need to interact with God's word. So if you're not reading the Bible, start. If you need help starting, grab a Bible reading plan. You can find it in the Edgewood app. You can call us, text us, email us, contact us on social media. We will get one to you. Don't stop there. Interact with God's word. Talk about it with your spouse. Join a small group and study it together. Maybe it's not a small group. Maybe it's just another person. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, the reality is you need people around you who are helping you to grow in your walk with Christ. And, and we, we at Edgewood, we might be able to help you with that, but honestly, one of the best ways is going to be for you to take the initiative and to invite someone or someones to form a small group and then grow together together as you draw closer to God by spending time in his word. Number three, an important aspect of renewal is waiting. How are you doing at filling the time? You're going to fill time. What are you filling it with? Worry? Anger? Impatience? Calm? trust, faith. Friends, you are helpless until he acts. Declare today your dependence on God and allow him to decide the terms. Live your life with a confident expectation that God will act. Speaking of confidence, Satchel Paige is one of the best, most dominant professional baseball players to have ever played the game. Satchel was a pitcher who recorded almost 1,500 strikeouts while boasting a career ERA of 2.70. Now, if you're not familiar with ERA in baseball, it's the number of points that opposing teams average against a pitcher. So in Satchel's case, a team was likely to score two runs against him, but they probably weren't going to get three. Anyway, Satchel was quite the competitor and uh, a very confident man. And the story goes that Satchel faced three consecutive batters who all got on base because of errors made by Page's outfielders. Thus, the bases were loaded. Before the next batter, Page was furious, and he steps down off the mound, and he does a walk around the mound, and he turns to his outfielders, and he, he calls for the three guys in the outfield to come in, and he gets them, and they have no idea why they're coming in, but he has all three outfielders come in, and then he gives them this instruction. He tells them to sit on the grass. <laughs> They're sitting in the infield. He has no outfielders and no outs. So his outfielders sitting on the infield. Page 
walks back up to the mound and strikes out the next three batters and his team goes on to win the game. (laughs) That's confidence. A little bit of ego, a little bit of ego too, but that is confidence. You and I, let's have humility. Let's make sure that our confidence is in the expectation that God will act. To be renewed is to be transformed by God from a current decayed state or condition into a better, superior, invigorated, preferable, like new or new state. Renewal is within your reach. If you want it, all you have to do is wait. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray for my friends here tonight who have heard this message and know that they are not right with you. God, that they have not yet placed their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And so, Lord, in this moment, I pray that as you are working on their heart, God, that they would make that decision, that right now, in this moment, they would place their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. That they would recognize their sinfulness and their need for a Savior, and that right now, they would say, I'm a sinner, and I place my faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins, and I will follow him the rest of my days. Father, for the rest of us in this room who have already prayed that prayer and are striving to follow you the rest of our days, oh God, thank you for this reminder of your greatness. You are great. You are bigger than any one human being. You are bigger and greater than a collection of human beings. You are greater than any false god, any spiritual being. You are greater. And so, Father, we can come to you and recognize that we've got nothing. You have everything. And so, Father, we come to you, and God, we, we just acknowledge your greatness and acknowledge our need for you to be great in our lives. And if we reflected back on our lives, I know we would see where you have been great. Because you are great. Father, for some of us in this room, we are waiting, just like Judah. God, our strength is sapped. You know the issue. You know what is uh, weighing us down. You know how we have tried to solve it with our own efforts. And so, Father, we need your strength. And so we just declare, we don't know how you're going to act. We don't know what you're going to do with this situation but we know you will act. And so, Father, we will wait. We will wait expectantly. We will wait confidently. And we will pursue you while we are waiting. So, Father, we uh, just plead and pray that you would woo us and draw us closer to yourself. 
while we wait expectantly to see what it is that you're going to do. Father, we thank you for this time that we have had to worship you in this place. And now may our worship of you continue as we leave this place. May the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen.